Bonjour, and welcome to the French Tech Australia podcast. I'm your host, Thibaut Winondo, and I'll be co-hosting this show with my friend Alex. La French Tech is a unique movement, bringing together startups, investors, policymakers, and community builders. With a network of 38 hubs in France and 48 others internationally, La French Tech is empowering local ecosystem on the tech scene. Our goal with this podcast is to give a platform to tech change makers in Australia so that their entrepreneurial journey can inspire you to take action. $650 billion. That's the estimated worldwide market size of courier delivery in 2020, according to Statista. A number that has doubled in just eight years. With the exponential growth of fleets hitting the road, the competition to reach the end customer has not seen its peak yet. The stakes have also clearly shifted. We went from how to deliver to the last mile to how to optimize my routes. The human mind having exceeded its capacity to problem solve increasingly complex equations in that field, the introduction of algorithms has helped the sector reach the next stage of efficiency and profitability. The AI market for the transportation industry is in fact projected to grow at a compound annual rate of about 18% until 2030. In today's episode, we take a closer look at the market of road optimization. We welcome Simon Webb, co-founder of Tarot Analytics, a nosy startup that builds business optimization solutions. The flagship product is Tarot Routing, a route optimization management tool that dramatically increases the efficiency of last mile deliveries, distribution, and inspection runs. Tarot Analytics was also the winner of the French Tech Ticket back in 2017, allowing the startup to set a foot in the southwest of France. Welcome, Simon, in the show. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, Alexander and Timon. How are you both? We're doing good. Thanks. Um, speaking from Melbourne, we're coming out of lockdown. It's, I feel like every episode we have is always like one of the first topics we talk about when we're interviewing people in Australia is how's your, how's your lockdown going? And uh, I'm glad that for once I can be the one in Melbourne um, <laughs> mentioning the fact that I'm not in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we've got a few more weeks to go, but uh, yeah. fingers crossed. Good luck to you guys. Yeah, been been here. Yeah, and yeah, on my side, everything is all right. Living in money is kind of a dream. You can exercise, so um, all good at this stage. What about you, Simo? Ah, uh, not too bad. We're uh, still ticking along, and the business is still growing. Um, and our customers are mostly in logistics, so are essential workers. Uh, luckily, uh, given it's route optimization, so uh, that helps us. Um, because they're still able to operate more or less as normal. Um, yeah. so, so it doesn't have as big an impact on our business as it has on many other businesses. Good to hear, Simon. That is a, a piece of good news. Um, so please, can you um, tell us a bit more about, uh, about yourself, Simon? What should we know about you? Yeah, so uh, I, if you cannot tell from my accent, I am Australian. Uh, I was born uh, in a town called Port Macquarie, nearly halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. Uh, which is well known amongst uh, many backpackers because being four hours from Sydney, it's often the uh, the first stop uh, when they go for their trip trip up north. Uh, and I went uh, to school in Sydney and university. I'm an engineer by training. Uh, and when I was at school, I met uh, one of my best friends, a bloke called Jesse, um, and we went to the same university. Uh, by chance, uh, studying different uh, topics, and we always had a a goal, a mutual goal to start a business, uh, not necessarily with each other, but uh, as things turned out, um, that's what ended up happening. Uh, I think it was in 2014 originally. Uh, he had actually finished university and was about to start his graduate job, uh, but they delayed his start date by a month. Um, and so Jesse, being entrepreneurial-minded, uh, went and looked uh, to pick up some extra work and started working as uh, a courier driver on Valentine's Day, delivering roses. Uh, so when we when uh, he arrived at the uh, warehouse and he they gave him his list of addresses to visit, uh, and he packed his a uh, station wagon full of uh, lovely roses to deliver to lucky girls on Valentine's Day. He looked at the address list and saw that it was in alphabetical order. Uh, and so Jesse is actually a, um, 
an actuary, which is uh, an insurance or financial mathematician. Uh, and so he saw these addresses in alphabetical order and thought, oh, there must be a better way of doing this. And quickly looked online and found an app where he could type in all the addresses and he could optimize 10 addresses at a time. Uh, and so when he went through that, he typed everything in, he planned his route uh, and drove it. And when he finished at uh, midday and called the uh, courier company to say, I'm done, they said, surely not. That's too quick. And he said, well, I can uh, send you through all my signatures or what do I do next? And they said, oh, I'll drive back to our uh, warehouse and give us all the signatures. And he said, well, can't I... Um, uh, send you a photo of the signatures or send it to you digitally rather than driving back out to your warehouse. And they thought, oh, maybe, maybe we could do that. Um, and that's really uh, started our interest in in route optimization. So later on that that day, uh, we, we were catching up and he said, hey, do you realize that courier companies are still working like this? And, and I didn't believe it. And uh, we went away and started working on an algorithm uh, to solve it, uh, to build a root optimization algorithm. And uh, one thing led to another. And uh, a few months later, we had a barely working, very minimum, hardly viable product. Um, and we you know, thought that was pretty cool, but uh, we're getting busy with other things and uh, it wasn't necessarily going to become a business uh, until um, one of uh, a student that he tutored mathematics to, uh, his father turned around and said, oh, I need that for my business. I'll pay you guys to come and set it up and do a trial. Um, and so we did that and I guess uh, one thing led to another and we got paid money for something that we did in our spare time and we thought, well, maybe we could uh, make something of this. Uh, so in 2016, uh, in the middle of 2016, we actually launched a company, uh, Taro Analytics Proprietary Limited, uh, and we applied to the French tech ticket. Uh, we launched a, a true minimum viable product and uh, was accepted to the French tech ticket. And in January 2017, we moved to Toulouse in the south of France. Uh, from there, we went, um, you know, we, we spent a year and a half in Toulouse before being accepted to uh, Techstars, which is a US-based accelerator. Uh, and sorry, Techstars is a US-based accelerator and we were accepted to Techstars program in Paris. So we moved from Toulouse to Paris. Uh, where we really started to accelerate our business and gain some quite large customers. Uh, and that really put us on the trajectory to where we are today. Um, I still think, I still say we are a startup. Uh, we definitely don't have enough customers to call ourselves anything but a startup. Uh, but we do very much these days have a mature product uh, that's making, that's optimizing the delivery of uh, thousands of jobs and tens of thousands of parcels uh, every day uh, across the world. So we have customers in Australia, uh, in France, in the Netherlands, in the UK, uh, and we're still growing. So hopefully we're looking to increase that number of countries um, in the near future. Cool. Thanks, uh, Simon, so much for, for planning uh, how came uh, Terra Analytics into the picture and, and what it is today. Uh, from this uh, 17 day to uh, to know having uh, customers uh, all over the world, and um, and it's kind of cool as well that you you know what is La French Tech Australia and that you have been part of the program um, in Toulouse. Um, so yeah, um, so next question maybe would be um, around um, your business model. Can you explain a bit uh, a bit to our audience what is a, a software as a service because that is what you are selling and how, how does it work? Um. Yeah, sure. So software as a service um, is software that you pay a subscription fee to for um, in the general um, sense. I guess we're the most common example of it that everyone's probably aware of is uh, Microsoft Word, 
or Microsoft Office, obviously. Previously, you used to buy a license to Microsoft Office and you would have it forever. Now you pay $15 a month or whatever Microsoft charges you um, for Microsoft Office as a service. And uh, <clears throat> that means that you provided the software, uh, you don't really own it, and you pay mon a monthly subscription, but it's constantly updated, it's constantly improved, and every time there's an improvement, uh, you benefit from that improvement. So we work uh, with this, the same business model, more or less. Uh, our platform is uh, uh, hosted in the cloud. Our customers log in. Uh, they can access all their specific organization data. Um, they can uh, load their jobs, optimize, uh, dispatch to their drivers, and then track uh, the jobs as they're completed. Uh, all in our software platform. Uh, we regularly update the platform uh, so we can improve it, add new features, uh, respond to our customers' uh, needs, and uh, they pay us a subscription fee. Typically, we advertise a monthly subscription, um, a per vehicle per month or a uh, per dispatch run. Um, however, we have you know, because we're selling to enterprise, we also have enterprise pricing, uh, which is basically adjustable. Uh, we can move to what, whatever our customers need. So some of our larger customers are paying uh, per warehouse per year uh, annual fees. Yeah, right. It's um, a good introduction to the model. Now let's jump in the um, the field, like the, the, the core of this episode. And we want to have a look at route optimization um in its essence so when we talk about route optimization what are the key features to consider yeah so when we look at route optimization uh or you're looking at optimization problems in general um you're either looking for a minimum or a maximum so uh i guess um if if you can think back to your uh, high school maths um, and you remember looking at uh, graphs and finding, you know, the minimum point of the parabola or uh, where the parabola crosses uh, zero. Um, so optimization algorithms generally are looking at, you know, to simplify it massively, is looking for that inflection point where you can either find a minimum or a maximum uh, and you know, that is the optimal point to be operating at. Uh, so obviously, uh, because these problems are very, you know, a root optimization problem, uh, for example, um, I guess a, a typical problem we will would encounter with one of our customers is they have uh, 200 jobs uh, to be delivered in a three hour window and they have 15 vehicles to make that uh, though to deliver all those jobs. Now, there is some combination uh, of uh, so every, every vehicle has a has a number of jobs that would be allocated to it, uh, and every job would be served in a sequence by a vehicle. There is some combination of allocation and sequence which is optimal, which will minimize the driving time across the entire fleet of vehicles. Now, route optimization, the goal of any route optimization algorithm is to look at uh, that problem, look at the jobs that need to be visited, the jobs that need to be served, and the vehicles that are available to serve it, and to find the minimum driving time uh, across the fleet of vehicles in order to serve all of those jobs. So that's the base level of route optimization. However, there are a lot of, I guess, what we call uh, business constraints, uh, but what um, you might say are features uh, that should be considered. So, um, and, and this really depends on uh, the businesses and the industry. Uh, so some of our customers uh, working in service areas um, have technicians and technicians have specific skills. 
so for example, we had a company that was servicing, uh, servicing and maintaining hot water systems, uh, and they were selling solar, electric, and gas hot water systems. Uh, so a technician had to be qualified to work, you know, qualified to work with gas in order to visit a gas hot water system. So when you're running that optimization with 200 jobs, um, you also need to consider, okay, what is the specific skill set of uh, the vehicles that are available? Or uh, perhaps some of those jobs have, been, you know, have, have provided time windows. Uh, so they may say that, you know, yes, you can make the delivery, you can deliver my package, but I won't be home until 6 p.m. So therefore, you must deliver the package after 6 p.m. Um, and so all these constraints uh adding complexity and change the optimal point that the algorithm is looking for when it runs so pretty full full picture thank you for this um this this breakdown now in terms of the you know the history of the market with um some actors being pioneer in the field um we know that you know obviously ups and all those postal services were uh, leading the way when it came to Im improve their, their delivery system. But um, do you have any examples that come to mind um, to introduce us to um, a success story, I would say, with uh, route optimization and AI being implemented to um, help out companies reach a new level of profitability on that segment of their business? Um, I can probably use a a case study of um, mm -hmm. one of our customers, uh, which um, will be, I think it will be published uh, on LinkedIn by them shortly. So I don't think I'm jumping the gun here. <laughs> uh, but uh, so one of our customers, uh, a company called Jeffco, uh, which is a French uh, logistics company, uh, uh, they are one of our biggest customers. And in the Netherlands, they are doing... Um, automotive spare parts distribution for uh, Peugeot Group or PSA Group, uh, which is now called Stellantis. Um, so when we launched with them, uh, they uh, they had the Peugeot Group on board. Uh, but what was incoming, and one of the reasons they were looking to um, have route optimization. Um, was because Peugeot had purchased uh, Opal and Voxel. And so the Opal and Voxel workload was coming in and that was going to increase the number of deliveries by, I think, uh, 40% every day. So they were looking at visiting 40% uh, more customers um, and they didn't want to put on 40% more vehicles. Um, so... Uh, they still needed to maintain the uh, strong, uh, quite aggressive KPIs. Uh, so I guess what Peugeot was trying to do is to offer uh, best-in-class um, automotive parts aftermarket. So that's, you know, if you buy a car and you drop it off to get serviced, you get the car back at 5 p.m. that day and it's fixed and all the parts are there. The mechanic doesn't call you and say, oh, hey, we, we couldn't. Uh, we couldn't finish work because we couldn't get the part. Um, so because of that, uh, any order in the Netherlands that is placed by 10 a.m. Uh, will be delivered by 1.30 p.m. So, and that's across the entire country. So it's quite an aggressive um, uh, KPI that Jeffco has to meet. And with their customer base growing by 40%, uh, they didn't want to have to increase the number of uh, drivers that were driving by 40%. Uh, so they were looking at re-optimization platforms and they approached us uh, with the challenge and uh, we worked with them and we implemented our uh, software. Um, and prior to the new customers launching, um, and we were able to show to them a reduction, um, you know, an idealistic reduction of 26% uh, uh, kilometer reduction and, uh, you know, they needed less vehicles. Uh, however, there were some constraints uh, in the warehouse and their picking 
uh, process and how they actually put the parcels you know, out of the warehouse and into the uh, vehicle, uh, which meant we had to limit our optimization. So in the end, we ended up with about a 13% improvement uh, or reduction in the number of uh, kilometers driven. Uh, but uh, when the new customers came on board, they were able to serve 40% uh, more customers and they only increased their fleet size by uh, what it was uh, 10 vehicles at each warehouse. No, less. 10. So they increased across the entire country. They started serving 40% more customers. So that was about. 3,000 more customers with only 20 additional vehicles. Yeah, right. Um, I can't, can't, can't help myself, but thinking about the introduction you gave us um, over tarot analytics and this idea that came up through flower delivery on Valentine's Day, and now hearing you speak with such expertise on, um, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a niche, but definitely, you know, when you, the algorithm in the route optimization. Uh, sector is is definitely something specific, and hearing um, and witnessing the growth that you've certainly had over over this, this, those next five years, and illustrated by the, by the use case in itself, it's uh, it's quite amazing. Um, so yeah, in terms of trajectory on on the market between what you've seen when you dipped your toes back um, half a decade ago to now, to what you could perceive and and forecast. Uh, what's going to be in the future? What, what do you expect from the market, and and how how much you've you've learned and try to apply to always try to adapt to uh, what's coming? Yeah, so I think if if anything, you know, we've all experienced the last two years and coronavirus and and working from home and and this sort of thing, and I think that's really changed our. Um, expectations around uh, deliveries, at least. Um, and I think that you know, there is, I guess, five years ago when we launched in Australia, Amazon Prime wasn't really a thing. It had launched in the US and it was starting to accelerate um, the expectations that consumers have around delivery um, in the US uh, and Europe, but it wasn't really a thing here in Australia. Um, but you know they have Amazon Prime and and Prime Delivery uh, and the growth in e-commerce has really um, started to change consumers' expectations around um, you know, uh, having a delivery and and what receiving a package should look like. Uh, and then equally, that's just been turbocharged by um, the 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 coronavirus and you know stay at home and work from home and all that sort of stuff uh, and a lot of people's behaviors and patterns have changed in the last uh you know 18 months and two years uh so from that I, you know from a root optimization perspective um it's becoming more and more important to these customers uh, so to the to the logistics companies to be considering their route optimization and considering how they plan their routes and how they make their deliveries because there's massive growth because of the growth in e-commerce and coronavirus. We can't just throw more and more couriers uh, to do the deliveries because that's not environmentally friendly and it's not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's too costly for these uh, logistics companies throwing more and more vehicles these to run a courier to pay a courier is uh, incredibly expensive uh, and the platforms show you uh, Amazon Prime Kogan e-commerce platforms uh, are looking for the companies that can offer you know the lowest price delivery so and and the consumers are as well so ultimately the consumer wants free shipping and same-day delivery. And it's an incredibly difficult thing to have, free shipping and same-day delivery. And so therefore it's a real pressure that's being put on the logistics companies and the courier companies to get more efficient in how they operate. And one of the ways they can get more efficient is 
to uh, look at how they look at their route planning, uh, look at how they're managing their deliveries as well, and uh, make investments in technology uh, in that area. So that's hopefully the the wave that we're riding. That is awesome, uh, Simon, and uh, I can't agree more. Um, just yesterday, I uh, I bought some pairs of uh, AirPods Pro uh, mm -hmm. to um, one local store uh, called uh, GB Hi-Fi. Uh, that probably everyone knows in Australia. And I was very impressed that uh, for $10, actually, uh, they were able to deliver the same day. And actually, it was not even the same day. It was in the next few hours. Um, and I would say, yeah, maybe two years ago, they probably, or even a year ago, they didn't probably offer this option. So uh, I can totally agree um, in terms of, um, oh, first of all, our customers are pushing uh, for having free things, uh, free delivery, or or at least have uh, the same day. They expect to have something very fast. Uh, and as well, our uh, company need to react if they don't want uh, customers to go to the competition. So it creates um, really a yeah, struggle for, for, for companies. And, uh, and that is where Simon and, and Taro Analytics are coming to play with Jess. So uh, it's fantastic. Um, coming to your um, company and your product, uh, can you tell us a bit more about your data? Um, pretty much, how does it work in terms of data? Do you collect a lot of data from the customers when you come on site? Can you tell us a bit more about, um, yeah, how does it start with, with a project when you start to help a company? What do you yeah. need to, to, to yeah. work? So when we look for a customer, um, one thing that I guess our platform is more geared towards uh, customers that um, have control over the delivery vehicles, um, whether they are their own employee drivers or um, they are, you know, subcontracted uh, drivers that drive for the, the company making the deliveries. Um, what our platform doesn't do, um, if you're an e-commerce provider and you just, uh, and you're selling online, or, you know, if you've got your web store and you're selling online and, uh, you engage Australia Post or DHL or, or a large um, courier company to come and you know, pick up uh, or use uh, them as your distributor, uh, then our platform doesn't really work for you because, uh, you know, the courier comes, picks up your parcel, takes it back to their Australia Post sorting uh, depot, and then it gets uh, shipped off to the end customer. We more look for companies that um, have some sort of control over the fleet. Uh, so whether they are engaging you know, their own drivers or subcontracted drivers. So that's, I guess, uh, uh, where we start from. Uh, then when we engage with the customer, uh, what we need from them, and the most important thing is we need uh, the addresses that they are visiting. So we need the job data. So uh, the address, the customer name, more or less, we don't actually need the customer name. Uh, and then a duration of how long will it take to complete that job? And that's, I guess the duration is one thing that's often overlooked uh, when companies are thinking about um, implementing uh, route optimization, but it is one of the most important things because if you get the, uh, you, if you have 20 jobs assigned to you and uh, the customer, the, the company says, oh, it's going to take you one minute to make every delivery. And actually it takes you three minutes to, to park, to make the delivery, to uh, get the signature and get back in your vehicle and start driving again. Um, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be very, very late to the last job and you're going to be driving a lot longer than you thought you would. So in terms of data, what we need at a minimum is the address, duration, the customer name, and then what vehicles are available and when are those vehicles working. And so how our platform works is we connect to the uh, auto management system or the warehouse management system or the uh, ERP system that has that job information in it that information is sent into our platform and that creates jobs. 
Um, and so we have a map-based interface. We always show, um, we, we always try and be visual because we think uh, you know, people think in maps, they don't think in Excel spreadsheets and it makes it a lot easier to visualize work uh, when it's shown to you on a map. Uh, so that data will get loaded into our platform uh, and the planner or the dispatcher will be able to look and we'll be able to see uh, the jobs or the work to be done uh, today on the map. He will then uh, have which vehicles are available uh, and the vehicles are all preloaded into Tarot. Uh, he then clicks the button to run the optimization. That sends the job data and the available vehicles off to our algorithm, which will calculate which vehicle should visit which job in what order so we can minimize the uh, travel time across the entire fleet. Depending on the size, uh, an optimization can take between 15 seconds and four to five minutes. Um, really large optimizations will take up you know, close to 10 minutes uh, if you're looking to uh, optimize a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand jobs. Um, uh, but so, yeah, so once the optimization finishes calculating, uh, it will return the information back to the platform uh, and that will build the runs uh, that will be dri driven by the drivers uh, during the day. Uh, then the planner, uh, which I think or either dispatcher or the planner in Tarot uh, has the final say in our platform. Uh, they can open a timeline and they can manually adjust routes uh, as they see fit. Um, we think this is a really important feature to have because you know it means that ultimately the human's still in charge. It's not just an algorithm that is deciding. Uh, and often there, the algorithm is not fed all the data that it needs. Often there's things that, you know, people forget that, oh, actually that customer said he couldn't be served uh, after lunch. He was closing after lunch today. So we need to move him him earlier. Um, or, uh, you know, that parcel's really heavy or uh, we, we need to put it on a, on a truck with a tail lift um, because it's not going to be safe uh, if the guy tries and lifts that by himself. Um, so there's always considerations that aren't necessarily modeled into the optimization where the planner needs to have the final say. Uh, so he can do that. Once he's done that, he can dispatch uh, to, our, um, to, to the drivers. So he can send the run sheet to the driver who will then load the information onto the app uh, and can scan barcodes uh, to for loading, start his route, drive around, make his deliveries, uh, collect signatures, send proof of deliveries, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and whilst he does that, he's tracked as he goes, and we update, um, you know, ETAs in real time uh, as the driver is driving, um, so that you know we can see is he running early, is he running late, how much is he running late by, uh, that sort of thing. So from there, uh, once the I mean, there are a few points in our platform where we send information on to other systems. Um, so loading, uh, once the driver's finished loading, we can send on information to, you know, transport management or finance systems. Uh, when a delivery is complete, we can also send on the information to transport management and finance systems. Uh, this would be, you know, when the delivery is complete, if it's completed successful, send a message to the finance system to create an invoice. Uh, and send the invoice to the customer, um, that type of message, um, or a proof of delivery document uh, to a third party um, proof of delivery software. So that's more or less um, where we sit, uh, what our platform does and, and how it works in terms of the data. Um, one thing that we do have, which I haven't mentioned is obviously uh, map data and uh, driving time data. Um, so we do within Tarot host uh, map uh, or map databases, uh, and we use that to calculate driving time between uh, different addresses, uh, which is you know the critical part of a route optimization algorithm is to build a distance matrix, uh, which is the driving time from one address to every other address. Um, which is a requirement of the, you, know, you need that to, to run your algorithm and to, to work out the best way. Um, but yeah, that's, 
yeah, long and short, more or less how the, how the platform works. Yeah, very interesting. We we can see that there's a, a few touch points and um, and it's good to have an explanation of the end-to-end process and, and where it sits. So thanks for it, Simon. Um, so that comes to my next question, which is around our product um, development um, and improvement. So as you mentioned, you today have um, you have today like a, um, a product which is pretty mature. Uh, but I guess before coming to this platform, which is pretty mature, uh, you have to um, innovate. And I think part of a software as a service, product improvement is key. So can you maybe um, tell us a bit more about um, your process, how, how you, you improve your product? And maybe that we touch to my um, next question, which was around your competitive advantage in this niche industry, but which I'm sure that even um, as clever as you are, other people we, uh, are trying to uh, to get into it if they have not already. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, yeah, we, we like any startup, um, we're, we're still improving our product. Uh, we're constantly improving it. So I think, you know, it's, it's the product is a lot more mature uh, now, looking at it, you know, only two years ago or so. Uh, but I'm sure in two years' time, when I look back at where we are now, I'll be saying, oh, wow, it's, it's so much more mature. Uh, in, or, you know, at this point in time, we were missing so many features that we that we need to have. So, I think uh, as a startup founder, it's always you know important to listen to your customers uh, and listen. I don't know, maybe I'll put a caveat: there. you need to listen to your customers, but you cannot do everything that they say. So, and I think one thing that really shapes how we uh, manage our product improvement is is definitely listening to our customers, uh, but then coming away and seeing, okay, what does that customer said? Uh, what are our other customers saying? Um, you know, if we were to build, you know, if a customer makes a request for a feature, um, they're often making the request, you know, with their specific business in mind. Um, and so one of our jobs as, as startup founders is to see, okay, well, how can I deliver that feature that will work for your business, but will also work for any other business that wants to use Tarot in the future. Um, and that's really uh, one of the challenges um, in, in building a product and improving a product over time. Uh, and I think one of, one of the easiest pitfalls or the biggest mistakes you can make as a startup founder is to uh, get, when you get your first big customers, and they're paying you good money uh, that you build exactly what they want and you end up with a product that's not scalable at the end. And I think that's a trap that many, many companies have fallen into. Um, and we've definitely built features that are not scalable and, and uh, um, you know, we, we've had to uh, spend time and money uh, to make them scalable uh, down the line. Um, but it's something that uh, we've definitely struggled with, um, and and we always yeah look look to um, be wary of that when we're building new features. Um, but yeah, we more or less um, when we ha uh, look at the market, we look at things that we we uh, can see that you know isn't happening. Um, you know, from you, know, you mentioned uh, JB Hi-Fi earlier. Uh, they were delivering in the same day. Well, you know, looking at you know, how do they inform you as the end customer and how could that process be improved? Um, so we're continuously looking at the market and seeing what's going on and seeing where there's uh, opportunities there. Uh, and then, yeah, listening to our customers. And so more or less that, that drives our product roadmap. Um, and then there are a few sort of research or long shot uh, features that we want to add in time but we're not really sure um, exactly how we could do it today um, either because you know we don't have the access to the data or because um, you know the optimization or the calculation is going to take too long or uh, we don't think the markets you know really needs it quite yet um, so some things like you know um, you know the real-time re-optimization with uh, you know traffic uh, including live live traffic, which is something that, you know, yes, it could be valuable, but it's going to add, you know, 
not that much extra value to be worth the cost of, of developing it just yet. But I think in the future, uh, something like a feature like that's going to be uh, really valuable. Uh, equally, um, you know, in the future, we see uh, as electric vehicles are rolled out and more and more uh, delivery vans or courier vans are becoming electric, uh, they're going yep. to need to be recharged and uh, including, you know, how do you, how do you plan an optimal route uh, to include, you know, uh, stops at recharging stations? Um, given that, you know, uh, you, electric vehicles recharge a lot faster when they're at sort of 20% to 40% is a lot faster than 80% to 100%. Um, can you park the vehicle and plug it into a recharging station for five minutes when you go and make a delivery? Um, and will that get you the extra range? Um, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, those are features that we would love to build in the future, um, but we, you know, it's not quite the right time to be building that sort of thing yet, um, but we'll get there. Um, and then our competitive advantage in the industry. So I guess, as you say, we are in a bit of a niche industry, um, but uh, our competitive advantage over most of the, you know, I guess there's a quite a landscape of um, different optimization products and people doing root optimization. Um, but our advantage is we do root optimization and delivery management in one platform. So a lot of uh, courier companies or logistics companies have track and trace systems to do scanning, uh, but they don't do any route planning uh, and the routes are just planned via territory. So, oh, you know, this job's in your territory. Here you go. Here's the list in alphabetical order. Good luck. Off you go. There are other competitors out there that are doing route optimization. Um, and there's some you know, fantastic companies that are, you have really great optimization algorithms, uh, which you can plug into as an API. But uh, a lot of the customers we see in the market um, don't have systems in place that can plug into a root optimization API and really get the full benefit of the root optimization um, because their back office system is not mature enough or they don't have the skills uh, within their company to connect and benefit from a root optimization tool. So by providing the entire platform, you, I mean, we looked at the market, we saw this was the issue and then we took feedback from our uh, customers and our prospects and everything like that. And then what we ended up with was, well, we need to do re-optimization and delivery management. Um, so that's where we ended up with, um, you know, covering a little bit more of the market, which uh, other competitors aren't doing. Um, so, you know, doing the optimization, but then also doing things like barcode scanning with our app, uh, proof of delivery documents, um, calculating, you know, the cost of a vehicle uh, or the expected hours, um, planned versus actual, uh, this, you know, that sort of thing um, is, uh, something that our product uh, is addressing that not many of our competitors are addressing. Uh, and then our other competitive advantage is we've really focused on the um, the user of our platform, that being the driver and the dispatcher or the transport planner. So these two profiles are not, you know, uh, optimization experts. They're not mathematicians. They're not data scientists. So they want to be able to see, you know, a very visual view, uh, show the routes on the map, uh, keep the complexity of optimization more or less hidden. Um, and, and we've really focused our design around making our platform easy for um, anybody to use. So you don't need the data science qualification. You don't need to understand optimization. Uh, you just need to click the optimize button and then the routes are planned. So I like to think that's, that's uh, you know, uh, what's, that's what's gotten us to where we are today. Yeah, right. That's very valuable to, to bring those forward. And uh, um, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned before as a transition also to um, take a step back at the industry so you can share your, your expertise too, because, um, you know, fleets of vehicles in... Um, in a time of you know climate change and all those um, you, you know we, we've seen the European Union um, with this carbon tax and then going forward with more 
green initiatives like this, um, how do you see this affecting uh, a sector where, in the industry where you are, where it's combining technology with, you know, you say that you're keeping an eye on what the customer wants, but I'm guessing you also keep that bigger, keep an eye on the bigger trend that is the, the market itself. And uh, um, how do you see those two intertwining, the, the climate change part with the the, 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 the green um, development into route and optimization? Yeah, so I think um, I think it's it's being driven ultimately by the end customers, um, and I think there's there's obviously the climate change pressure, uh, but I think the pressure from the end customers uh, to have same day delivery at, at the lowest cost. Um, is more or less forcing uh, operators and, and the um, courier companies to become more efficient. And as they're becoming more efficient, um, they, you know, the CO2 per job, so the CO2 per parcel delivered, uh, is being reduced because they are becoming more efficient. However, the number of parcels that are being delivered and the number of vehicles that are out driving and that um, is still increasing because you know, whilst the CO2 per package is decreasing uh, as density is, um, the density is increasing and uh, companies are being forced to be more efficient because the overall volume is larger, I think there is a challenge and at, at the moment of well, we want all these nice things of you know same day delivery. Uh, you know, I, I know in in Europe um, there's 15 minute delivery from uh, um, supermarkets uh, which are being launched, and yes, those are happening with uh, in some places those are happening with electric vehicles. Uh, but um, there is this, I guess, challenge of how do you marry the you know, the desires of the consumer with the externalities and the costs of climate change and uh, not only climate change, increased vehicle congestion. Um, if there's more deliveries happening, there's more vehicles on the road, um, there's more congestion, there's less, you know, uh, all, all these other things that are not really considered in the price that you pay for shipping. Um, I think there is a challenge in uh, the business model uh, for a lot of courier companies around climate change and and um, and and also you know, the wider market around moving to low emissions vehicles is that you know a courier company is the way the contracts are really structured for these courier companies does not reward them uh, for investing a lot of money today in a uh, low emissions vehicle to pay off over time. Uh, a lot of the contracts given to courier companies are one or two year contracts, um, and so therefore, you know, there's not there's not that payback period if you invest twice as much in an electric vehicle today um, over the life of the two year contract. Um, it's not really going to pay itself back uh, over you know buying a cheap van that's a petrol or diesel van. Um, now, if you get the contract again after two years, well, then, yes, making the um, investment into electric vehicles was the right thing to do. But um, it's it's a difficult thing uh, for these logistics companies to, to weigh up. And then equally, I think there's still some way to go before electric vehicles have the range to meet the, you know, daily driving demands of uh of courier vehicles and, and vans, because some of these vans are driving, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. Um, and we don't have the charging infrastructure or, or the base range um, uh, for electric vehicles yet. Um, but obviously I think that's something that's gonna change in uh, in the coming years, particularly with, you know, the 2035 targets for no more, um, no more, uh, internal combustion engines in Europe is, is really going to be a challenge and uh, the industry is going to have to adapt. 
Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Throughout the episode, you give us a good picture of um, of what is, what is happening um, in terms of one, um, yeah, the pressures that customer is, is putting into um, um, companies, um, as well as the competition between themselves. And uh, last but not least, uh, our company is still struggling uh, to um, to have a, a cleaner impact on the planet, as is not really um, uh, they yeah. don't have many incentives uh, for that. So I think there's still a, um, a big work on government and companies and end users to understand that we all need to, all together to work towards a better future, which maybe could mean uh, not a delivery in a day or yeah. Um, yeah, be all more patient and, and look uh, for each other's future. Um, yeah. and, and, it, and it's really driven by the consumer because the consumer said they wanted same-day delivery and so companies have provided same-day delivery. If the consumer said they wanted green delivery, companies would provide green delivery and, and it, it wouldn't take them long. Uh, but I think it's something... You know, in the end, it's going to come from the consumer, um, and I think attitudes you know, really are changing, and I think people are um, you know, caring more and more about uh, climate change and, and their, their personal emissions. Absolutely. Thanks, um, thanks for, for sharing, Simon. And Simon, and, uh, I'll, I'll come back to what you said about always listen to your customer, but don't implement everything he says. <laughs> um, but yeah. Thank you for this episode. I think um, I think we are coming to the end of it, if I'm not mistaken, Alex. Correct. Yeah, maybe can we um, wish you anything special for Tyranetics for this year and the year coming? Uh, anything special you would like to say to audience before we uh, we finish it? Yeah, I mean, if you um, uh, if you're a company uh, or you know anybody that has. Uh, a fleet of vehicles and, and is interested in optimization, uh, please, please reach out. We, uh, we love new customers. <laughs> um, but also uh, uh, reach out over LinkedIn um, or uh, a similar platform like that um, if you have any questions or are interested to find out more. Um, and uh, yeah, always happy to, to share and, and have a conversation and uh, tell people more about Root optimization. Uh, surprisingly, not many people know very much about it. So it's uh, it's it's always interesting to see what they think and, and how they uh, how they perceive it. Yeah, this is definitely something of our time, but we're not always very educated towards what's happening behind the curtain. So thanks for sharing all your knowledge and expertise, and uh, can't wait to put this episode out there for everyone. Thank you so much, Simon. No worries. Thanks, Alexander. Thanks, Thibaut. And uh, can't wait to hear it live. Yeah. Thanks, Simon. Be good. Catch you next time. See you. Thank you very much for listening to this first episode of the series. Please, if you enjoy our show, share with us some feedback to Thibaut myself directly on LinkedIn. And let us know if you have any idea of guests or projects that you would like to address. We'll see you soon. Bye.